turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, hopefully that's an easy one. Kind of go to the middle of your Bible, turn a few books over from Matthew. We are taking a month-long break from Nehemiah. Sadly, I want us to trek right through, but uh, knowing some of the breaks that are coming up at the end of the month, I really didn't want to interrupt us once we got into the building process where Nehemiah finally gets into Jerusalem, wanted to do our study of Nehemiah justice in that way, and uh, really just felt too at the same time as we enter this Christmas season, what a great opportunity for us to uh, just, you know, really fix our attention upon uh, our, our Savior and what this season is all about. And so this morning, we're kicking off an Advent series. We're going to be preparing our hearts this month, this Christmas season, focusing all of our attention and our our heart's affection on God's great gift to us, Jesus, celebrating his advent. And if you've ever wondered what the word advent means, just means arrival or, or coming. So when we speak, speak of the second advent, we're talking about the second coming of Jesus, which will happen at the end of the tribulation period. But being able to look at his first advent a little over 2,000 years ago. And in part one of our Advent series today, we're going to be looking at an important uh, announcement and a, and a divine interruption that happened in the lives of an older couple named Zacharias and Elizabeth in the time preceding the advent of Jesus, where there had been really prophetic silence for over 400 years. Interesting, because in our study of Nehemiah, we're, we're just about that time period where right after the time of, of what we read in Nehemiah and, and subsequently the time of the prophet Malachi prophesying, that's when this prophetic silence began. And though we're going to be looking at a different birth announcement this morning, not Jesus's, the account we're going to consider this morning was, was preparatory in so many different way, ways and was still very much pointing forward to the coming Messiah to Jesus himself. And I, and I hope, I pray this morning and throughout this Advent series and, and throughout this month that, that we'll see how important and how amazing the divine interruptions of our God are. That his interruptions in these situations we're going to be considering, not just today, but in the coming weeks, meant salvation for you and for me. Because I don't know about you, but I don't really like to have my schedule, my thing that I'm involved in interrupted. You know, maybe for you, you're a sports fan and you get into your game and when someone steps in front of the television, there's an interruption that happens and you start, you immediately, what happens? You, you start to try to look or you you're kind of start to shoo the, like, can you sit, sit down, get, you know? Warriors games like that are for me, you know, it's like, I'm trying to watch, even if it's recorded, there's a part of me that's like, I don't want to have it interrupted, you know, the, we don't like to have our, our, our appointment interrupted, we have things that in our schedule that we're going, I need to be here, I have this in mind, I'm going to do this thing, and when that thing is interrupted, we, it, it throws us off, it's hard to adjust at times, and yet God has so often throughout history interrupted the lives of indiv individuals. He, he's interrupted our lives in the best way possible by uh, meeting us at places where we, we needed him 
to open our blind eyes and to get us off of something that we were involved in, to pull us out of maybe some sort of a habit or some sort of a, a lifestyle that wasn't of him, and he, he interrupted us in the best way possible, and we praise him for that. And, and so to be able to see that his interruptions here mean salvation for you and me, but also that we'll see that he's still wanting to interrupt our lives today, so that we'll see his bigger plan, so he can grab a hold of our attention when we're focused on other things, lesser things, so, so he can get our will and lives in line with his. And so we come back again and again to that place of simple devotion, of worship of our King and Savior, Jesus. And as we prepare our hearts this Christmas season, I believe the Lord is wanting to interrupt our busy lives, our burdened minds, so that we'll get our eyes and our minds off of all the things that don't really matter and onto the one thing that truly matters, that's Jesus, God's greatest gift to humanity. Just for some context before we dive into our passage, when considering this idea or this, this subject of Advent, of Jesus coming into this world, we, we have to first understand that the Advent of Jesus was not some sort of plan B in the mind of God. This isn't something that he came up with on the fly sometime later in history because of how wicked or messed up humanity became. No, the advent of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus was always plan A, planned from eternity past, knowing that we would sin and that we would need a Savior. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and God pronounced the curse upon the serpent who deceived Eve, we see God's advent plan as he declared to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Moving forward from that point for several thousand years throughout the Old Testament scriptures, we begin to see prophetic mentions of the seed, the Messiah who would come, who would bruise the serpent's head, meaning he would be victorious over Satan even though he would be wounded by him. Prophetic declarations, promises that for hundreds of years would become even more clear in the times of the prophets, but then seemingly the last of the Old Testament prophets, the prophet Malachi, died. And this entered humanity into a or human history into what we call the intertestamental period, the time between the Old and New Testaments ushering in, again, this 400 years of silence where God did not speak to the people by use of a prophet. There was no widespread uh, divine revelation given for over 400 years. It was a time of spiritual famine and darkness, days of oppression, days where many in the nation of Israel, had turned away from the Lord, but God was going to interrupt this period of darkness by sending the light of the world, Jesus, into the darkness, and he was going to interrupt this 400-year period of silence by speaking now to a priest named Zacharias, as we're going to see in our passage of Luke chapter 1. And one final thing here before we read, Luke is beginning his gospel record after giving a, a prologue 
uh, in the first four verses by looking at an event which preceded Jesus' birth announcement by six months. So the time frame here is really close. And he does that by looking at the announcement of another baby whose life was going to be all about Jesus, an important figure who would be used mightily by God to prepare the way for Jesus. And so with all of that context in mind, let's begin reading in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. We're going to read through verse 7. Luke recording here, he says in verse 5, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So important here, Luke makes a reference to a uh, historical marker. He says in verse 5, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea. <coughs> this man was known as Herod the Great. And though Herod the Great was king over the region of Judea, he was not a Jew. He was not of Jewish descent. He was actually a descendant of Esau, meaning that he was an Edomite. And, and though he was called king, Herod really was just a vassal king who ruled the, under the authority of, the, of, of Rome in this area of the Roman Empire. Herod the Great, if you don't know much about him, was known as an incredibly cruel man. Executing members of his own family, he killed one of his wives, two of his sons, was responsible for the deaths of most likely thousands of male Israeli infants under the age of two who he sentenced to death after the wise men from the east came to see Jesus after his birth. But he was also known for his amazing building projects, such as the rebuilding of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And if you ever go to Israel or have been to Israel before, the area of Caesarea Maritime has many things that Herod the Great actually spearheaded in his architecture. There's pools there uh, that are just amazing, and, and Herod really was behind that. But as we look at what Luke says about this couple, we see that both came from the priestly line, both were righteous before God, both walked in all the commandments and, and ordinances of the Lord, both were blameless not sinless, notice, but blameless. They were living a life without fault. Both were well advanced in years and were told that they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. So not only was this couple, uh, you know, really uh, an amazing spiritual kind of powerhouse that were, you know, being used by the Lord, they'd been devoted to the Lord, They're, they'd been faithful to the Lord, but there was this stigma that had been placed upon them as well because of Elizabeth's barrenness, her infertility. In that culture, infertility was a disgrace. It carried a lot of shame for a woman, and it could actually cause people in that day to view the person dealing with infertility as not being blessed with 
by the Lord. But instead of being bitter towards God for what they did not have, they continued staying devoted to and faithful to their God. And these are important things that help really set the stage for the rest of this account that we're going to read. And so continuing in verse 8, we're told, So it was that while he, speaking of Zacharias, was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Not an uncommon sort of uh, response for us to read in Scripture when someone sees an angel suddenly. I don't know about you, but if you're in a room by yourself and all of a sudden an angelic being is standing next to you, you probably would have a similar response. You would be troubled. Fear might fall upon you. You might scream. You might fall on your knees. Who knows what would happen, but we... We don't fault Zacharias here for, uh, you know, being fearful here at seeing an angel all of a sudden. But the significance of verses 8 through 10, which isn't given to us in a straight reading of the text, is that this was a monumental, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zacharias. Because there were up to 22,000 priests at that time that made up those 24 divisions, and because there were so few opportunities over the course of each priest's life to get to serve in the temple. So, right, only the high priest could go into the most holy place once a year on the Day of Atonement, but there were other priests serving under the high priest, serving as priests, who could serve inside the holy place where the, uh, where the incense was and the table of showbread and the the all, and the uh, menorah was, and, and they would go in throughout the day, right? They'd trim the wicks, they'd make sure the lamps were burning, they were making sure there was the, the bread was in there, the incense was being burnt. Uh, but being able to serve in the temple, gosh, that was a big deal. Drawing the lot to get to burn incense inside the holy place was a privilege a priest may never get at all even in their lifetime. The burning of the incense inside the holy place symbolized the prayers of the entire nation. And at that moment, as Zacharias would have been alone in the holy place, carrying out his task that he might have waited for for his whole life, there's this large crowd of worshipers gathered outside the temple in the temple courts who were gathered to pray as Zacharias burned the incense, what Zacharias would not have expected was seeing this angel. Again, this whole scene we're invited into came after about 400 years of silence. Dark days, dark, you know, days of oppression by the Romans, days where many in the nation had turned away from the Lord, and now here at a very strategic prophetic point in history, this is all coming about. The angel appears to Zacharias in the holy place 
And again, understandably, he's freaked out, but he's about to get some amazing news that we read about in the following verses. So pick up with me in verse 13. It says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I I love this. I love the way that the, the angel begins his announcement in verse 13. Your prayer is heard. Is this working? My mic on? Okay. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. Something really cool to point out here that just makes all this uh, even more sweet is, you know, a lot of times in the Bible, a person's name would speak of something that God was maybe going to do in that person's life or, or how he was going to show up in someone's life. And here, that's very much true. Zacharias means Jehovah remembers. And Elizabeth's name means the oath of God. And when we put their names together, basically we'll get the message Jehovah remembers his oath. Or we could also say the Lord remembers his promise. You know, here's the thing. We don't know if they had continued praying all those years into their older years of life for a child or if they had maybe stopped praying many years before. But what an amazing message the angel Gabriel brings that God heard their prayers and he was now going to grant their request. You know, it's hard to pray when you've been praying for a long time for something and not seen God do it. When you feel like there's some sort of shame attached to your life that you can't shake, that would have been Elizabeth. The stigma that she would have carried around in her culture, like, God just hasn't blessed this woman. She's just, it's maybe something she's done in her life. There's some sort of stain upon her life that God's kind of withholding his blessing from her. Luke invites us into this insight that they were blameless they were righteous they had walked in all the commandments of the lord they'd done all the right things and yet they found themselves in this position of life in their older years advanced in age past the age of childbearing and and they're still going they're still pressing into the lord they're still seeking god zacharias is still serving the lord he's still showing up trusting the lord 
You know, maybe years before they had stopped praying. Maybe there was a point, it's like, we're in our 50s yet now. I don't think, you know, maybe, maybe Zachariah's looking to Elizabeth like, I don't, it's not, I don't think it's going to happen. We, we prayed for like the 30 years before that, but I mean, let's just be faithful to the Lord. You know, we don't know if that was still something, maybe if they're in their 70s going, Lord, give us a child. Can you imagine being in your 70s or still, you've been praying that prayer maybe for 50 years? And yet, God in his grace, in his kindness, sends Gabriel to Zacharias and he says, God's heard your prayers. What does that mean for our hearts to know after a period of waiting, after a period of maybe feeling like, God, where are you in this thing? To know God has always been there. He's always been present. That he hears. That he's attentive. You know, we're reading in our daily Bible readings in the book of Daniel in two different times. It, it, once in chapter 9, once in chapter 10, these, an angel is sent, and it's actually the same angel. It's the angel Gabriel sent to Daniel. And, and both times that he's sent in those different time frames, the, the message that's brought back to Daniel is, Daniel, the moment that you prayed, from the moment that you sought the Lord, I was sent. You know, we wonder in the delays of God, what we perceive as delays, we go, God, where are you in that thing? I've been praying for wisdom. I've been praying for direction. I've been praying for this thing to change. Lord, I've been praying for this opportunity. Lord, I've been praying for this person. And I've not seen anything happen. And we're wondering what's happening in the delay, in the waiting. And to know from God's perspective, he's going, I'm not late. I'm working on a different timetable than you. I mean, if there's ever a situation that we would go, God's got a different time frame, it would be Zacharias and Elizabeth here going, uh, Lord, we're a little old now to have kids, don't you think? Like, I don't even know if I could carry this kid anymore. I, my back's not so good anymore, you know? I don't hear so good anymore. I don't know if I'm going to hear the kid crying at night. God's heard your prayers. He wasn't displeased with them. He hadn't forgotten them. He hadn't withheld his blessing from their lives. No, he cared. And in his mercy, he's going to give them a son. And he names the kid. You're going to name him John. Now, you know, maybe... Someone in here has been praying for something or, or for someone for, for a long time. And you feel like God's not heard or maybe he doesn't care. Or he's not working or he's forgotten about you. Know this morning, he hasn't forgotten. He has heard. He does care. He is working even if we don't see what he's doing. As Jesus said in Luke, or I'm sorry, as, as Luke tells us in Luke 18 verse 1, prefacing something that Jesus was about to, to share. He said that he gave the parable that we should know to always pray and never lose heart. 
and maybe for some of us this morning to, to take that to heart. Lord, help us to not lose heart in our praying, to not give up. Now, the angel goes on to tell them that they would have joy and gladness, that many would rejoice at his birth, that he would be great in the sight of the Lord. He'd be set apart from wine and strong drink, which likely spoke of the, the Nazarite vow of consecration to the Lord. And we see in verse 15 that this child John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. I mean, I don't know how many times in Scripture we need to be reminded of the, the value of life or, or what God might say about life, but if this child could be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, we could not go, that's a non-life. It's not, not a life in there. No, God doesn't send his spirit on inanimate objects, on non-lives. He sends his spirit on people, on humans. Now, this doesn't mean John was saved or, or born again while in the womb, but it means that the anointing of God would be upon him from the very beginning of his life, which he would need for the awesome calling that God had upon his life. We see the consecration and the anointing in verse 15, but in verses 16 and 17, we see the mission that God was going to have for this child. The reference there in verse 17 is actually a reference to Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. And these are actually the last two verses of the book of Malachi, the last two verses of the Old Testament, uh, which are, are preceding that 400 years of silence. God was going to use this child, John, to turn many of the children of Israel back to the Lord their God, that John would go before him, a reference to the Lord their God, Jesus, the Messiah who was to come, that he would go before the Messiah in the spirit and power of Elijah, meaning John's ministry would be like that of Elijah's in bringing the people back into right relationship with the Lord, <coughs> and that John's ministry was going to be one of preparation, preparing the people for the Lord. Just as Elijah's ministry was one of calling the nation of Israel to repentance, John's ministry also would be one of calling people to repentance so that their hearts would be ready for Jesus. Zacharias went into the holy place thinking that he was just going to burn some incense that day, but God had other plans. The stage was being set prophetically for the time of the Messiah's advent into the world, and Zacharias and Elizabeth were being chosen by God to bring the Messiah's forerunner, not Toyota forerunner, into the world. That car model really ruined it for that word. No, I'm just kidding. Not a forerunner hater. <coughs> but let's continue on. Let's read verses 18 through 23. Verse 18, And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is, is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute 
and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own timing. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered for so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. You know, that expression, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. I think that was the kind of mentality that Zacharias had in verse 18 to the angel's announcement. The reality of the physical impossibility that they were both just too old for this to actually happen caused Zacharias to doubt instead of just believing God's messenger by faith. Now, thankfully, God in His grace didn't check Zacharias off his list and kind of set him aside because of his unbelief, but instead he gave Zacharias a sign by causing him to be mute until Gabriel's message came to pass. Aren't you so thankful that God in our moments of doubt doesn't just go, forget you, I'm going to find somebody else to use? He goes, I'm still going to do my thing. But now you're not going to be able to rejoice in this thing until the child's born. Zacharias missed out in some ways at being a part of what God wanted to do. This was an amazing opportunity to proclaim the greatness of God, the goodness of God, to worship the Lord openly. And now Zacharias is mute. And, you know, this is kind of this sign that... uh, in a lot of ways, still is, is God's grace to Zacharias because in his being mute, Zacharias is going, God's doing it. Because it wasn't like he's just going, I'm not going to talk for a while. I'm taking a vow of silence here. Like Zacharias is taking a monk sort of approach, monastic sort of thing. He's going, God's done this in my life. Like this is really happening Like, this is something that's actually going to reinforce Zacharias' belief in the Lord, that God was going to bring this thing to pass. And and even though Zacharias is missing out because of this muteness, this is another thing that God is going, Zacharias, I'm doing it. I'm going to be good even in your doubt. So Zacharias completes his task inside the holy place. What would have happened is he would have stopped outside the holy place and given the priestly benediction, the blessing to the people, but instead he comes out and maybe seems a little bewildered. You know, he comes out and it's like, you imagine he comes out of the the curtain of the temple and everyone's kind of waiting like, bless us now. You know, the Lord bless thee and keep thee and make his face. And, and, and he's just like, you know, he starts making some hand motions. He, and people are like, what, what's this guy's deal? And, and they come to the conclusion about Zacharias because of whatever attempt at, at some sort of sign language that he was doing that, you know, he must have seen a vision. And, and so, 
Zacharias finishes out his week of service and, and heads back home. And we find this in verses 24 and 25. It says, now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself five months saying, thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So God makes good on his promise to this couple by making it possible for Elizabeth to conceive in her old age. Elizabeth is overcome by this miracle that God has worked in awe of what God had done for her, she goes and hides herself in her home for five months. And, you know, this wasn't her going like, I don't want people to know. The first five months of the pregnancy, you wouldn't have shown as much. And people weren't, weren't wearing form-fitting clothing at that point in time. You would have had some sort of a, a flowing garment on you. And so this wasn't her going like, I'm hiding the fact that God did it. She's going like, I need time to like process. I need time to rejoice and seek the Lord and praise him. And she does that. She spends that chunk of time rejoicing. Notice that God had looked on her. You know, maybe she had felt overlooked by the Lord at some point in time. And here she's going, God has seen me. He's visited me. He's met me. He's taken away my disgrace among the people. Man, this would have been huge for Elizabeth. And while Zacharias initially responded to the angel's message in unbelief, Elizabeth responded to her pregnancy in praise and worship for all the Lord had done for her. And after, again, 400 years of silence, God had now spoken and Zacharias's doubt was not going to thwart God's plan. Zacharias and Elizabeth's older, older age wasn't going to thwart God's plan. Even the impossibility due to physical biology with Elizabeth being past the age of childbearing was not going to thwart God's plan, a plan that was centered on bringing forth his son Jesus into this world to save us, but prophetically, he was causing here more of the pieces to fall into place, interrupting lives, doing the impossible, preparing the hearts of two older individuals who probably thought that God would never use them in his redemptive plan, and yet he was. The, the divine interruption in Zacharias and Elizabeth's lives was preparatory to what God was going to do in sending his son into this world. Their son John was going to be used powerfully by the Lord, be given a very unique and important ministry by the Lord as he was going to be the forerunner of the Messiah, preparing the hearts of the people for Jesus. But I don't think it would be far-fetched to say that though Zacharias and Elizabeth knew that God had interrupted the lives of other individuals throughout the course of history, that they probably never would have thought he would interrupt theirs. I mean, think of the factors involved. Being older in age, dealing with infertility, 
living in a time of prophetic silence, a time of spiritual and moral darkness, a time of oppression. And yet God divinely interrupted Zacharias' service in the temple with news that his older, barren wife was going to have a child, a very important child who would have a very important role to play in going before the Messiah. Man, I'm so thankful when we consider the advent of Jesus that, you know what, he didn't come into this fairy tale sort of environment. This wasn't a time where, like, you know, it's world peace, everyone's getting along, the ruling authorities were really godly. He came at like the worst time. One of the worst rulers ruling over them there in the region of Judea. A murderous king. A time of moral decay, moral decline. People forsaking the Lord. Wondering at this point in time, what, what, what is God doing? I mean, he, yeah, he spoke through the prophet Malachi, but that was 400 years ago. Where are all the prophets? Where's the voice of God for us? And now to see as the advent of Jesus was, was close at hand, that he shows up to this man, Zacharias, that he did the impossible in the lives of of, of, an, of two older individuals who just wanted to serve the Lord, just wanted to be faithful to the Lord in the midst of a generation that wasn't really being very faithful to the Lord at all. Doing all of this ultimately so he could bring about the coming of his son. So that salvation could come. So that light would dawn in the darkness. And I love that even with these things revolving around the, the birth of John, we're going to see even more of how John's birth is going to point us to Jesus in coming weeks. We're going to continue our Advent series next week, see some more announcements and divine interruptions take place next time in the lives of a, a young virgin named Mary and the man betrothed to her named Jesus, uh, Joseph, Jesus, named Joseph. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. As I, as I said earlier, you know, I believe the Lord is wanting to interrupt our, our busy lives, our burdened minds our minds get burdened by things. We hear news of something, something's going on in someone's life. There's heavy things happening in our world all around us. There's stuff going on in many of your lives that are they're big things. Maybe big obstacles to overcome, maybe big questions of of what's in store in the future. And for us to be reminded and have an opportunity at this point in time, in this Christmas season, to get our eyes and our minds onto Jesus. And, and we need that. We need that refocusing. We need that realigning of our, of our attention and our heart's affection all the time, not just during Christmas. But what, an, what a great excuse for us, right? To be able to have this point in our year 
to be reminded of who our Jesus is, to be reminded of how amazing our God is, that he did not leave us in our mess. He didn't leave us in the darkness. He didn't leave us clueless, but that he sent us his son. You know, maybe for some in here, he's wanting to interrupt this morning wrong thinking or or wrong priorities to get you thinking rightly or prioritizing the right things, the things of him. Maybe, Maybe there are others who are in the depths of discouragement and depression or hopelessness, and he's wanting to interrupt the state that you're in to bring you out of those things and and bring you encouragement and hope and stability. Now, maybe someone here today has been praying for something or for someone for years, and and you're just needing God to provide direction. You're You're needing him to show up in your circumstances or in the lives of someone that you've been praying for. You know, wherever you find yourself in any of those things, know this morning, just as Elizabeth shared in her praise, that God is looking upon you even this morning. He sees. He's attentive. He hears. He's working. You know, we don't know what's happening behind the scenes I'm reminded as I shared that in Daniel how Gabriel comes and says, look, you know, from the moment that you set your heart to seek the Lord, but, but in that situation, I believe in chapter 10 it was that of Daniel that he says that three weeks had passed, that there was this spiritual battle going on that kept the angel Gabriel from getting to Daniel sooner. We don't know oftentimes what's happening behind the scenes, what kind of spiritual battle is taking place, what kind of things that God is working in the lives of others even, and, and the timing that he has in mind, and, and his ways that he's working things out to glorify himself in our circumstances even, that, that we don't see, but, but that we would be able to rest and trust in him in the waiting in the dark times, in the times of silence where we don't hear his answer, to know this morning that God is working. He does care. He hasn't forgotten you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we're thankful that, Lord, our age, our cultural status, even biology, Lord, even our own bodies, Lord, though those things are not things that would disqualify us from being used in your plan. You see that with Zacharias and Elizabeth, Lord. Lord, make us people who are faithful to you. Lord, who live rightly, walk in your word. Live lives that are blameless and holy unto you, God. The Lord, we wouldn't become bitter or jaded by the things that happen to us or the things that happen around us, Lord, but that we would keep our focus upon you. And Lord, for those that are in a season of maybe feeling like, Lord, you're, you're silent Maybe they're wondering, God, what you 
are going to do, how you're going to show up, how you're going to work. Lord God, meet them in the waiting. Lord, meet them in the silence, Lord. Lord, cause light to dawn in the darkness for them. God, bring answers, Lord. Bring solutions, bring healing, bring grace. God, bring strength, Lord, and comfort and encouragement and hope. Lord, you know where each one is at this morning. Lord, you know ways that they need you to work in their lives and in their circumstances. And God, we pray that you would be working this morning in the lives of your people. God, we thank you that, Lord, you want to use us in your plan to redeem others. The Lord, we would be available to you. Lord, we wouldn't disqualify or, or excuse ourselves because of whatever factors we might think, whatever shame that maybe we feel like we have attached to our lives or, or whatever kind of age-defining factors even that maybe any of us could feel like, well, I don't think I'm, I'm kind of past that point in my life. No, Lord, you want to use us to bring other people to you. Lord, to point people to Jesus. And Lord, this Christmas season is such a, a powerful opportunity for that. Lord, as we hear songs about you in stores, Lord, as people are, are more open to the things of you during the Christmas season, that God, we would be, Lord, filled and led by your Spirit. Lord, that we would have a gospel readiness that Jesus, you'd be on our lips. But Lord, just as you brought glad tidings that was going to bring rejoicing, Lord, that you've given us the good news. You've given us your gospel, Lord. It's a cause for us to rejoice. Lord, that we wouldn't keep that to ourselves, but Lord, that we would share you with others. God, I pray for any in this room today, Lord, who don't have a personal saving relationship with you. If there's anyone here today and that's you, you never first just opened your heart to Jesus Christ. That spiritual reality for each and every person is we are born in sin. Born separated from God because of our sin. But God didn't leave us that way. He provided a way of salvation for us. That way is Jesus the way, the truth, the life. No man can come to the Father except through him. That he came and he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserved. He took our shame. He took our disgrace. He took our guilt. He took our sin so that we could be set free and forgiven. If that's anybody in here this morning and you're going, I want the salvation of Jesus. I want the forgiveness of Jesus. I want the hope of Jesus. I want the love of Jesus in my life. Would you raise your hand and I can pray for you? Maybe this morning you're in a spot where you're going, look, like I feel like God's been silent. Maybe you feel like God is not been, not been active in, in your circumstances or 
It's something that you've been praying about for some time. And maybe you're just going, look, this morning, I just need God to break the silence. Or what I perceive as the silence. Would you raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning? And you're going, that's, that's me. God, speak. Lord, move. God, work. God, look upon me afresh this morning. Anyone else? Lord, I pray for these that have raised their hands. God, that you would meet them where they're at. Lord, is there in a spot, Lord, where they're just, they're needing to hear your voice. God, they're needing you to work in their situation and their circumstances in their lives individually. God, meet them. Lord, work radically. Lord, speak. And, and God, give clarity and, and wisdom and direction. And Lord, that they would be able to see your hand at work. God, and praise you for the things that you're doing. Lord, help them to see those things. God, give them that sort of insight even today. Lord, to see that you haven't forgotten them, Lord. To see that you are working, Lord, even in the waiting. And God, for any this morning who, who maybe didn't raise their hands or maybe it's someone watching or listening, Lord, God, that in their own hearts, and they're going, that's me, I need Jesus, I need his salvation, that in your own heart you would just say, Jesus, I, I'm a sinner and I need your, your salvation. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. Jesus, be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my God. Be my friend. Come into my life. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I put my faith, my trust in you today. Jesus, I repent. I, I turn away from my sin and I turn to you. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose from the grave. Save me. Seal me with your spirit. And would you empower me to live for you? I just encourage you, if you've done that today, if you've meant that prayer from your heart, if you've humbled yourself before the Lord and opened your heart to Jesus, the Bible says you will be saved. Lord, as we prepare our hearts this Christmas season, Lord, as we get to sing these songs in response to your word, Lord, help us, God, to not turn a blind eye to the ways that you interrupt us. Lord, help us to not be irritated, God, when you disrupt our day, disrupt our plans, Lord, disrupt, Lord, our way of thinking, God, to know that, God, your interruptions are your grace, Lord, towards us. It's your kindness and your mercy, Lord, towards us. Lord, help us to see, Lord, the ways that you're wanting to interrupt us even today. That we would see the ways that you're working, Lord. We'd see your plans. We'd see you, Lord, and worship you for who you are. We're thankful for you, Lord. We love you. Go before us in this time, the rest of this season, Lord. God, that we would see those around us who don't have a personal saving relationship with you, come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ this Christmas season. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.